Welcome to another adult Bible study guide exploring the book of Job. Written by Clifford Goldstein. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Narrated by Byron Phillips and Lynette Newhart. Exploration number three. Does Job fear God for naught? But he said to her, You speak as one of the spiritually foolish women speaks, ignorant and oblivious to God's will. Shall we indeed accept only good from God, and not also accept adversity and disaster? In spite of all this, Job did not sin with words from his lips. That's Job chapter 2, verse 10, the Amplified Bible. The book of Job opens up to us a whole new dimension of reality. It gives us a glimpse into the great controversy between Christ and Satan. And by doing so, it also provides us a template, a frame, an outline to help us better understand the world that we live in, a world that so often baffles, dazes, even frightens us with what it tosses our way. But the book of Job also shows that this great controversy is not merely someone else's fight, in that we have nothing to do with it. If only that were the case. Unfortunately, it's not. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, the New King James Version. Satan has come down to the earth and to the sea, and we know for ourselves that his wrath is indeed great. Have you felt that wrath? In this exploration, we will continue to look at the first two chapters of Job as we seek to get a greater understanding of how we fit in as the great controversy continues to rage. Let's listen to Job chapter 1. Focus specifically on Satan's accusations against Job. Three questions to answer. What is Satan saying? What's implied in his attacks? Who in the end is Satan really attacking? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God with reverence, and abstained from and turned away from evil, because he honored God. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He also possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke pairs of oxen, 
500 female donkeys and a very great number of servants, so that this man was the greatest and wealthiest and most respected of all the men of the East, Northern Arabia. His sons used to go in turn and feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send word and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of their feasting were over, Job would send for them and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this at all such times. Now there was a day when the sons of God's angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, adversary and accuser, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Then Satan answered the Lord, From roaming around on the earth and from walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered and reflected on my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God with reverence and abstains from and turns away from evil because he honors God. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and conferred prosperity and happiness upon him, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch, destroy all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on the man himself. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and swooped down on them and took away the animals. They also killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Another messenger also came and said, The fire of God, lightning, has fallen from the heavens and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels, and have taken them away, and have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, 
And suddenly, a great wind came from across the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. They died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head in mourning for the children, and he fell to the ground and worshipped God. He said, Naked without possessions, I came into the world from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job chapter 1 and verse 10, the New King James Version. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he had on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. The book of Job opens by referencing not only Job's righteousness, and good character, but also his material blessings and fruitful household. These were the specific things that helped make Job revered as the greatest of all the men of the East. Job chapter 1 and verse 3, the NASB. And these two are the specific things that Satan hurls in God's face, saying basically that, only because you have done this for him does he serve you. What, then, is implied in Satan's charge that if God were to take these things away from Job, Job would surely curse you to your face? Job chapter 1 and verse 11, the New King James Version. The attack, really, is an attack against God himself. This is what the whole great controversy is about anyway. If God were so wonderful, so good, then Job would obey and fear and worship him out of love and appreciation alone. After all, who wouldn't love a God who had done so much for him? In a sense, Satan was saying that God had all but bribed Job into being faithful to him. So, he claimed, Job served God, not out of love for God, but out of his own selfish motives. Think about some of the most nasty and hateful political rulers who have faithful cronies loyal to the death because this ruler was good to them. If, in fact, the Lord really was the kind, loving, and caring God that he is portrayed to be, then even if Job lost all those good things, Job would still serve the Lord. By claiming, however, that Job wouldn't stay faithful, Satan insinuates that even Job doesn't fully trust him, and that Job is loyal only because of what God has given him. That is, in the end, according to Satan, Job's loyalty pretty much depends on whether it's a good business deal for him. 
Why do you serve the Lord? Suppose your motives aren't perfect. If you had to wait until your motives were perfect, if they aren't, what might happen to you and your faith? Skin for skin, the battle continues. Job chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 begins almost repeating some of Job chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. The big change is the last part of Job chapter 2 and verse 3, where the Lord himself talks about how faithful Job remained despite the calamities that befell him. Thus, by the time we get to Job chapter 2 and verse 3, it looks as if Satan's accusations have been shown as false. Job stayed faithful to God and didn't curse him, as Satan said he would. Now, let's listen to Job chapter 2 from the Amplified Bible. Two questions. What happens in these texts? Also, what is the significance of the fact that in both Job chapter 1 and 2, these sons of God are there to witness the dialogue between God and Satan. Job chapter 2 from the Amplified Bible. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, adversary accuser, also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Then Satan answered the Lord, from roaming around on the earth and from walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered and reflected on my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God with reverence and abstains from and turns away from evil because he honors God. And still he maintains and holds tightly to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause, Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin. Yes, a man will give all he has for his life. But put forth your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh and severely afflict him, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord, and struck Job with loathsome boils and agonizingly painful sores, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself, and he sat down among the ashes, the rubbish heaps. Then his wife said to him, Do you still cling to your integrity and your faith and trust in God without blaming him? 
curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the spiritually foolish women speaks, ignorant and oblivious to God's will. Shall we indeed accept only good from God and not also accept adversity and disaster? In spite of all this, Job did not sin with words from his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they looked from a distance and did not recognize him because of his disfigurement, they raised their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe in grief, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky in sorrow. So they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. The phrase, skin for skin, is an idiomatic expression that has baffled commentators. The idea, though, is this. Let something happen to Job's own person, and that will cause him to show where his loyalty really is. Ruin Job's body, his health, and see what happens. And interestingly enough, what happens does not happen in a vacuum either. Both instances of the controversy in heaven, and as revealed here in the book of Job, take place in the context of some sort of meeting between these heavenly intelligences and God. Satan is making his accusations publicly. That is, he is doing it before these other beings. This idea fits in perfectly with what we know about the great controversy. It is something that is unfolding before the whole universe. Three Bible references tell us this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. For I think God has exhibited us apostles at the end of the line, like men sentenced to death and paraded as prisoners in a procession, because we have become a spectacle to the world, a show in the world's amphitheater, both to angels and to men. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10. A river of fire was flowing, and coming out from before him, a thousand thousands were attending him, and ten thousand times ten thousand were standing before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael the archangel and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they were not strong enough and did not prevail. 
and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. But the plan of redemption had a yet broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of man. It was not for this alone that Christ came to the earth, it was not merely that the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded, but it was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. The act of Christ in dying for the salvation of man would not only make heaven accessible to men, but before all the universe it would justify God and His Son in their dealing with the rebellion of Satan. It would establish the perpetuity of the law of God and would reveal the nature and the results of sin. That quotation is found on pages 68 and 69 of Ellen G. White's classic explaining the first part of the Old Testament entitled Patriarchs and Prophets. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After Satan's first attack on Job, after the news came to him about all the calamities that befell him, how did Job respond? Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 answer that question. Then Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head in mourning for the children, and he fell to the ground and worshipped God. He said, Naked, without possessions, came I into this world from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. What is the significance of the fact that even amid such tragedy, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly? Central to God's government, a government based on love, is freedom of choice. God wants us to serve Him because we love Him, not because we are forced to serve Him. Quote, Satan insinuated that Job served God from selfish motives. He attempted to deny that true religion springs from love and an intelligent appreciation of God's character, that true worshipers love religion for its own sake, not for reward 
that they serve God because such service is right in itself, and not merely because heaven is full of glory, and that they love God because he is worthy of their affection and confidence, and not merely because he blesses them. End quote. That quotation is from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 500. In the book of Job, Job proved Satan's charges wrong. However, though God knew what would happen, Job still could have acted differently. He could have sinned. He could have charged God foolishly. Job was not forced by God to act as he did. His steadfast faithfulness, considering the circumstances, was an amazing testimony before men and angels. Compare what happened in Job chapter 1 to what happened with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent Satan said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of the two of them were opened, that is, their awareness increased, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together, and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How does the contrast make their sin appear so terrible? Adam and Eve, sinless beings amid a true paradise, transgressed and fell into sin because of Satan's attack. Job, amid utter pain and tragedy and ruin, stayed faithful to the Lord despite Satan's attacks. In both cases, 
we have a powerful example of the great issues at stake in regard to free will. How does Job's reaction show you how cheap, easy, and false excuses for sin can often be? Job's wife. This is probably as good time as any to deal with another victim in the story of Job, his wife. She appears only in Job chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, which say, Then his wife said to him, Do you still cling to your integrity and your faith and trust in God without blaming him? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the spiritually foolish women speaks, ignorant and oblivious to God's will. Shall we indeed accept only good from God and not also accept adversity and disaster? In spite of all this, Job did not sin with words from his lips. After that, she vanishes from the story and from history. We are told nothing more about her. However, considering all that happened, who could imagine the grief that this unfortunate woman went through? Her tragedy, that of her children, and that of the other victims in chapter 1, show the universality of suffering. We are all involved in the great controversy. No one escapes. Let's compare Job chapter 2 verse 3 to Job chapter 2 verse 9 in the New Living Translation. What similar phrase is used both by God and Job's wife, and what is the importance of how they both use it? First, here is Job chapter 2 and verse 3. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Now, compare that verse with Job chapter 2 and verse 9. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Here are the questions again. What similar phrase was used both by God and Job's wife? And what is the importance of how they both use it? It's no coincidence that the same phrase about his holding fast his integrity appears in both texts. The word translated integrity comes from the same word used in Job chapter 1 and verse 1 and Job chapter 1 and verse 8. Job chapter 1 and verse 8. 
often translated blameless, the root word itself gives the idea of completeness and fullness. How unfortunate that Job's wife becomes someone who challenges Job on the very thing for which God commends him. In her grief, in her sorrow, she's pushing Job to do precisely what God says he won't do. Though we certainly can't judge her, what a lesson about how careful we have to be in order not to be a stumbling block to others. In the New Testament, Luke 17 and verse 2 tells us Jesus' words about our influence. It would be better for him if a millstone as large as one turned by a donkey were hung around his neck and he were hurled into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble in sin and lose faith. Listen to Job chapter 2 and verse 10 in the New Living Translation. What powerful testimony does Job give here as well? But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Let's also consider Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, where Paul says, not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times, and I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. Verse 13, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Back to Job. Job reveals the genuineness of his faith. He is going to serve the Lord both in the good times and in the bad. What's fascinating, though, is that Satan now disappears from the story and doesn't appear again. And though the text doesn't mention it, we can imagine Satan's frustration and anger at Job's response. After all, look at how easily he took down Adam and Eve and so many others. The accuser of our brethren. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 was going to have to find someone else other than Job to accuse. How do we learn to be faithful to God? both in the good times and in the bad. Oh, B. 
obedience unto death. Job chapter 1 verse 22 reads, In all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Job chapter 2 verse 10 reads, In all this Job did not sin with his lips. Both verses are from the New King James Version. In both cases, despite the attacks, Job stayed faithful to the Lord. Both texts stress the fact that Job did not sin, either with actions or with words. Of course, the texts don't say that Job wasn't a sinner. They would never say that because the Bible teaches that we are all sinners. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, the New King James Version. Being blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. Job chapter 1 and verse 1, New King James Version, does not make a person sinless. Like everyone else, Job was born in sin and needed a Savior. Nevertheless, despite all that came upon him, he remained faithful to the Lord. In this sense, as we will discover in Exploration 14, in his own way, Job could be seen as a kind of symbol, a faint example of Jesus who, amid terrible trials and temptations, didn't give up, didn't fall into sin, and thus refuted Satan's charges against God. Of course, what Christ did was so much bigger, grander, and more consequential than what Job did. Nevertheless, the simple parallel remains. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 from the Amplified Bible. How did Job's experience reflect what happened to Jesus? Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had gone without food for forty days and forty nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus replied, It is written and forever remains written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, Jerusalem, and placed him on the pinnacle, highest point of the temple. And he said mockingly to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to serve, care for, protect, and watch over you, and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written and forever remains written, You shall not test the Lord 
your God. Again the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, splendor, magnificence, and excellence of them. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written and forever remains written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and ministered to him, bringing him food and serving him. Though in a terrible environment, his body weakened by lack of food, Jesus in his humanity, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, did not do what the devil wanted him to do just as Job didn't either. And also, just as Satan disappeared from the scene after Job stayed faithful, after Jesus resisted Satan's last effort against him, Scripture said that the devil left him. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11, New King James Version. James chapter 4 and verse 7 promises the same for you and me. So submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Back to Jesus. What Jesus faced in the wilderness was only the start. His real test would come at the cross, and there too, Despite everything thrown at him, even worse than what Job faced, Jesus stayed faithful even unto death. Let's close this section with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Two questions. What hope does Christ's obedience unto death offer you? And... What does it tell you about how you should live in response to his obedience? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. But he emptied himself, without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. 
after he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's continue exploring. Here are a few thoughts to ponder and questions to consider. Students of the book of Job who delve into the Hebrew come across an interesting phenomenon. Job's wife's words to him are translated, curse God and die. Job chapter 2 and verse 9, the New King James Version. Job chapter 1 and verse 5 is translated, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. New King James Version. And Job chapter 1 and verse 11 is translated, But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The New King James Version. Each case, however, the word translated curse comes from a word that means bless. The word from the root BRK is used all through the Bible for bless. It's the same root used in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 22 when God blessed the creatures he had made. The same root is used in Psalms 66 and verse 8. O oh, bless our God, you peoples. New King James Version. Why, then, is the same verb, which means bless, translated as curse in these few texts? First of all, if the idea of blessed were meant in those texts in Job, the text would be nonsensical. In Job chapter 1 and verse 5, why would Job want to offer sacrifices to God in case his sons had blessed God in their hearts. The context demands a different meaning. The same with Job chapter 1 and verse 11 and chapter 2 and verse 5. Why would Satan think that if calamity befell Job, he would bless God? The context demands that the meaning be curse instead. Also, why would Job rebuke his wife for telling him to bless God? Job chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Given the context, the text makes sense only if the idea of curse is meant. Why then did not the author use one of the common words for curse? Scholars believe that it's a euphemism, because the idea of writing down the concept of cursing God was offensive to the author's religious sensibilities. We can see the same thing in 1 Kings chapter 21, 
verses 10 and 13, where the word translated blaspheme is from BRK, bless. Listen to the verses. Verse 10, And seat two worthless and unprincipled men opposite him, and have them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Verse 13, Two worthless and unprincipled men came in and sat down opposite him, and they testified against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed and renounced God and the king. Then they brought him outside the city and stoned him to death. So, Moses used the word bless instead of the actual word for curse, even though it's obvious that the idea of curse was intended. In times of crisis, why is it so natural for people to question the reality of God or to question what God is like? Amid the harsh reality of what it means to live in a fallen world, a world in which the great controversy is real, why must you keep the reality of the cross always before you? Though you know the background to what was going on in the story of Job, as far as we can tell, Job didn't know it. All he knew were the calamities that happened to him. He didn't know the bigger picture. What does this tell you about how, when you are experiencing trials, to remember that there's a bigger picture that you often don't see or understand? And to draw comfort and hope from the struggles. ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.